This is the Bob Account Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Good way to end the week. A little bit of basketball talk, a little bit of baseball talk. Bruce Arthur and Bob. Remember him? Remember Bob? He's going to be back, Richard. How could I forget him? And uh, Bruce is in Vancouver, so he will give us some really good insights on the Raptors. Well, I'll tell you what. It's uh, I, I want to hear what Bruce thinks about this baseball team, too, because Wednesday night's debacle is something that people are still talking about and will talk about for a long period of time. Bruce Arthur, and then the guy that this podcast is named after on the McCowan podcast after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers sports and casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the Bob McCowan Podcast. Richard Deitch in for Bob for the week. It's been fun. Uh, a great way to end it. Uh, Bruce Arthur's a BC boy. I know that. Uh, I'm a BC boy. I find every reason under the sun to go home. And mm-hmm. Bruce Arthur has found every reason under the sun to be in Vancouver as well because the Raptors are there. Bruce, welcome. It is a pleasure, as always, to be joining you two fine gentlemen. Okay. Uh, we are going to talk a lot of basketball football but uh, it's been 48 hours since the Toronto Blue Jays did another Toronto Blue Jay thing um just your thoughts not necessarily on the game because it's been dissected 60 million ways to Sunday just on a season that underachieved on every level I've been in Toronto I think 22 years and I've seen a lot of I've seen bad teams I've seen good teams seen one championship team seen disappointing teams seen teams that will be remembered fondly and not fondly I don't think I've ever seen a team that was good, like objectively, like a good enough team to reach the playoffs that was so, that seemed to be so hated. So like, just not just people weren't just frustrated. People hated watching this team. There was the the Raptors last year were a little bit like that. People really got tired of watching how they played. Masai Ujiri came out and said, I don't like watching these guys, but this Blue Jays team, not a single soul who I know was surprised by how they lost, but was still infuriated by how they lost. Uh, and it really is that they were so in keeping with who they were. This idea of like, because the thing in sports, it, small sample size, especially in baseball, it, it isn't always the true team, right? That shows up in those very few playoff games. You can come out of it and say, we deserve better. No one said this team deserved better. Nobody said this was not the Toronto Blue Jays. This was exactly who teams have, people have been watching all year long. You know, John, watch this. I'll be a professional host and eventually segue to the Raptors. But one of the things <laughs> that, uh, and by the way, BC for me stands for Brooklyn College, just as a, a side. <laughs> um, not, hey, by the way, you're, you know, finally we have two Canadians on the show. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> we've had we've had Bruce, we've had about two Americans on the show every every day this uh, week. It's my, 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 my trust me, especially in 2023, my apologies. Um the uh so one of the things, Bruce, that and I agree with you, you know, I it I like you in talking to people who I know who are fans of the Blue Jays, they've never disliked a Blue Jays team more. Yeah. I think what it has to do with is expectations, right? Versus reality, expectations yeah. versus performance. What we thought this group should be versus what they turned out to be. Mm -hmm. And this gets me to the Raptors because this is an interesting year for them. Yeah. I think the expectations for them are really low. Probably, yeah. in my opinion, probably lower than they should be, including if you want to use the real experts, Vegas odds makers. They have a number for them. I think it's like 36 and a half wins or something like that. Yeah which feels very low to me. So I wonder if the Raptors actually could be, could flip, flip things versus the Blue Jays in that they may perform better this year, not necessarily be a great team, but maybe a better team than people expect. And I think the pleasure of watching them could turn out to be greater than what we expect where the Blue Jays objectively a better team, you know, a playoff team, yeah. like you said, was so frustrating. Do you buy my thesis at all for the Raptors that maybe they will be mm -hmm. there? You know, I think people, Raptors fans talk about this team like they're they're going they're going twenty and sixty. That's not going to happen. It's so interesting if you if you go back a few years. I agree with your thesis. Go back a few years. So they win a title, fabulous, right? The next year is the bubble year, and Pascal Siakam doesn't touch a ball for three months during the pandemic for reasons that have still not been fully explained. But he's terrible in the playoffs, so they barely lose to Boston. And me and a lot of people around the NBA have said since then that if Pascal touches a ball and looks like Pascal Siakam in the playoffs, they beat Boston, they beat Miami, and they probably beat the Lakers in the final. They ate the Lakers alive that year. I, I, I will go to my grave saying that was a team that could have won a second title. So then everything goes wrong. They're in Tampa for the year. They tank. They get Scotty Barnes. Fine. Then they win 48 games. Unexpected. Great. And they've had one bad year. Now, they've had guys leave over that time, but they really had one bad year in the last five. And it's so interesting watching how Raptors fans turn. And partly it was because how they played. That was an awful team to watch last year. They, they, they had none of the admirable qualities of the team of the year before. The defense fell apart. They became, as Masai Ujiri openly said this year, a selfish team. And it wasn't even like selfish, like I'm going to get mine. It was Pascal dribbling 17 times sometimes in the yeah. second quarter and trying to figure out what to do with it, trying to figure out how to be a number one option. It was Fred trying to be Kyle, but with more shots. Um, and so this team this year, it's interesting because they can't, they're going to be a worse shooting team than they were last year. And they couldn't shoot last year. <laughs> Fred, Fred was their, their biggest volume shooter last year. He's gone. Grady Dick is going to be a good player and he's going to be a really good shooter but he is going to take a little while to figure out the NBA. He's going to be, he's not going to be strong enough to start. So they got Gary Trent Jr. And they got Grady Dick who can shoot. And that's, and that's basically it at your high end shooters for from three point range. And I still think this team is going to be way better. And not just because of the expectations of where they are, not just because they have better players than, than the record kind of showed last year, how they're going to play is going to be more fun to watch. Like everything that I've heard out of camp so far, and this is uh, this is under Darko, uh, who is who is I think a progressive coach. 
it's going to be ball movement. It's going to be cutting off the ball. It's going to be none of this like isolation one-on-one stuff until it really matters, unless you're, you're punishing mismatches. The stuff in, in camp sounds like it's Scotty Barnes initiating a lot of the offense. It's Pascal cutting and moving and, and being more of that active flashing player. He used to be Jakob Pertle is going to be really good. I think, um, I think this team will be, be more together than they were last year. And I think that alone, and probably I think the record, I think this team sneaks into the playoffs, bottom end of the playoffs. Um, and I think they'll be better. Like I, I, people in Toronto got real used to this team being good mm-hmm. and they did not handle it terribly well when they got bad and didn't play in a way that was fun to watch. Let, let me, let me throw another concept to both of you. Uh, and I'm going to get people mad at me and I don't really care because right. I'm old. I'm old. Um, <laughs> I think both the Blue Jays fan base and the Raptors fan base are really immature. They're young. Um, they got spoiled early. The, and, and by I say early, uh, 2015, 2016, with the brand new Ra- uh, Blue yeah. Jays fan base that thought, well, they always go to the playoffs and uh, everybody th- does a bat flip like Jose Batista. Uh, and then the Kawhi year for Raptor fans, because yeah. up up until that year, you know, TV ratings weren't very good. Attendance was good. It was solid. But the explosion of the fan base, because they were a championship team, yeah. brought in so many people because they love winning and they don't really understand basketball. And yeah. they don't understand the cycles of professional sports and the cycles of what goes on with a major league baseball team with contracts and even more dramatic the cycles of contracts in the NBA. So a giant part of the fan base thought, well, that we always win. We always do this. And now they're just a regular team. We had Bob Ryan on yesterday and he talked about, we're just a regular city now with the Red Sox and the Patriots. (laughs) Um, And I think there's a lot to be said that way, Bruce, for Raptor fans, because how, how they got so impatient so quickly that's that's not a true hardcore fan that's somebody who's in 2023 wants it now that's not a guy who's been a long-term <laughs> worried basketball fan in southern ontario or across the country for that matter well also it's like taking your kid to disneyland and your kid expects to go to disneyland every year after that right right because right? like the Kawhi trade is such an outlier in the nba players decide where they play the best players decide where they play there's no such thing as free agency anymore in the traditional sense for the best players in the nba like when brooklyn got kevin durant and and kyrie irving what happened is sean marks got a phone call and was told they were coming yeah (laughs) like that's how that's how the nba works now so with the raptors since the Kawhi trade works out perfectly, right? And people forget that that was not a slam dunk from the inception through to like through the season. Um, like that was not a hundred percent thing. They had to convince Kawhi to come. Like that was a real, that was a real hurdle. And since then they have been hunting stars since Kawhi left. They've been looking to see if they can go get somebody, go get somebody. They were in on Durant last year. Durant, Brooklyn pulls him off the market. And then Durant tells Brooklyn, I'm going to Phoenix. I want to play with Devin Booker. They were in on Damian Lillard and Bobby Webster said it last week. That was most aggressive. They've ever been in chasing a star. And that's true. hundred percent. 
what they were talking about on the table was significant. A huge chunk of future. Not present. It wasn't OG. It wasn't Pascal. It was not uh, Scotty Barnes. They would have had all those guys. But Damian Lillard, essentially, like the, what, what made that trade happen is Damian Lillard said, I want to play with Giannis. Yeah. Like, that, and so the Raptors are in on these and people get excited, right? It was the same thing at the trade deadline last year. Overly oh, excited. Gonna, Overly yeah, excited. They're, they're going to trade OG. They're going to trade Pascal, right? That was the talk at the trade de- deadline last year. And they didn't. And so there's been all these moments where it looks like the Raptors are going to do it again in, the, in terms of making a big deal. And it hasn't quite happened. So I think that has worn on the fan base a little bit too. But the thing you got to remember is the important thing is that they're giving themselves shots, right? In these negotiations and all these, uh, like they got to just find the right guy mm-hmm. is, is what they'll, they, what they will tell you. Whether that right guy ever comes, I don't know, but. So let, so let me, first of all, I disagree wholeheartedly with John Shannon and I will tell you why in a second. <laughs> and I, I'm sort of on the same path. As, We're not talking about the Knicks. Okay. Or the Yankees. I feel I feel good. I feel good about what I'm about to say, and I'm sort of with Bruce, although I'll take it a different step. I don't consider the fan base immature at all. What I consider the Raptors fan base is young and a group that has grown up in the analytics NBA Twitter era where they are inundated with all sorts of data points on NBA players, and they are particularly inundated on a handful of reporters who control the narrative of the league that they process all this information for. So anytime you see Adrian Wojnarowski talk about a star player who may or may not go somewhere, I think the Raptors fan base then inevitably is like, well, why don't we have a shot at this player? This gets back to what Bruce said. It's ultimately a player's league and players have to decide. So I think so much of the fan base's sort of expectations, at least this is is my take, is there's in the NBA, and I think Bruce, you'll definitely agree with me. You become so convinced of the value of your players that you, I think, overvalue your players tremendously. Like, there's no doubt OG Ananobi is a, a tremendous player. I don't know, like, if he's really worth, like, whatever, three first round picks, and the same with Pascal Siakam. Like, ultimately, like, we're not in the discussions with Masai and Bobby, we don't know what the other teams are putting out there. Other teams, and I'm sure the Raptors do this too, they absolutely put fake stuff out there because they're trying to control sort of how the trade goes. The agents of the players put BS out there or try to control the narrative. So I don't see it, honestly. I don't see the Raptors fan base as immature. In some ways, I feel like it's information overload and that they're Hmm. reacting to this information overload and maybe that skewers expectations and um and perception you know i listen to like our old you know john you and me where we used to work at, at, at sports and 590 it's a very easy thing to sort of kill Masai ujirian to kill bobby webster that they didn't trade this guy they didn't trade this guy but you're working under the premise you have no idea what the other team offered or didn't offer mm-hmm. so yeah it's easy for me to say they should have traded kyle lowry definitely should have brought back durant Giannis, and Shaq from 1993 form <laughs> like it's easy for me to say that but we don't really know what's being brought back. So I, I think yeah. a lot of this is, again, I could be wrong about this, but it's a fan base that's young. It's diverse. It's so uh, web and social media savvy, Bruce. Immature. That immature. I, 
Yeah, immature. No, yeah. so no. But here's the you know, thing. So that, that's my reaction. You, you are you're both right. I would say what? Richard is a little more right because <laughs> because Richard conception of the fan base is is what it is is there are people who who grew up with this team over the last 20 years right and the, like i've talked to people who went to the square or went, went to like jurassic park when they were kids and then took their kids there so yeah. there's been a generation that's grown up and they have they have an inferiority complex to be sure right but it's earned to a degree because there are a lot of players who don't want to play in canada that's a real thing to this day mm -hmm. and but when they win the title, there is an expansion of the fan base. And those are the ones who are immature. Those are the ones who don't get it. But the core of Raptors fandom is plugged the hell in. And to a degree that is sometimes like, I'm not going to say unhinged, but they are they are a notoriously passionate fan base. And so, they do some, know. Some but, are unhinged. They're, they're, yeah. Their expectation as to what you can get for your assets, I think, is just unrealistic. Well, yes and no. So the, the OG Richard's starting to agree right? with. I think Richard's starting to agree with me. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> that. The, I wrote at the trade deadline last year. I don't think these guys are making a deal because I had an idea of what was out there on the market, and the OG three picks thing. Picks aren't. You're exactly right that people don't know what they were. Right, they were not being offered like three Milwaukee picks at the end of the decade when Giannis's knees go right. right? What they what they were offered is specifically, I think I've written this in the OG trade, was three picks in the last draft, which is and not what they want. What's right. the and point if, of that? If those are right. over 20, that, that you might not get a starter, right? Exactly. And you don't have, you can't stockpile those for the next star chase, right? Mm -hmm. That's what Oklahoma City does is they 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 stockpile picks, but they're out, 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 out. And so you've always got some in case you need them. So if you if you dug into what the Raptors talked about in deals for a Kevin Durant or a Dame Lillard or whether or not they should have traded Pascal this summer and they looked at it or whether or not they could have traded OG at the deadline or Fred at the deadline. I, with everything I know, I'm not sure I would have done any of those deals. I would have done Durant 100%, but there was it wasn't there was no deal on the table, right? Um I would have thought about Dane, but there was never a point where they could say, bang, let's do it, right? And the overvalue thing, it's overvalued till it's not, is the thing. Yeah. Because right? this team does not subscribe to tearing it down and start and like putting a bunch of 20 to 23-year-olds on this team and doing that. Because in the NBA, you don't have to anymore. One thing you got to understand about the NBA is it's it's a shorter term league than it's ever been. The mm -hmm. way the salary cap was just rewritten gives you a hard cap. And teams that accumulate too much talent will be punished or they'll pay an unbelievable amount of money. It also, though, gets to something. I guarantee John agrees with me on this is there are certain cities where you cannot go. We're starting four guys who are 22 years old. And going to try to build like this is still at the end of the day, whatever it is, the fourth biggest city in North America. It is a major city with expectations from a fan base that you will put a competitive team. I, I and by the way, the one trade where I think all Raptors fans are correct on or not trade is Fred because you didn't get anything for him. And that's bad asset management. So I agree with that 100 percent. But Bruce, I you know, again, you two guys, are, you are Canadians. You live in the country longer than me. So I will see to you on this. But Having lived here now for five years, 
I do not see a fan base that would accept an 18 and 63 year with the promise that three years from now, this team will be a contender because if you don't have Cade Cunningham, or if you don't have whoever you want to determine is the, is a surefire Weminyana. If you, if you don't have a yeah. surefire guy who you think might be the best player in the league, that you need a market that is willing to be like that kind of patient, Oklahoma City, Orlando. I'm not. Do you really think the Ra- Raptors fans could deal with? Let Let me just do it this way. One year, 19 wins. One year, 25 wins. One year, 34 wins. And now in the fourth year, you hope that you're good. I just, I don't see that this fan base accepting that. That's just me. And ownership would be the question. I think, I think, I think ownership would, (laughs) I think they would swallow and they would do it, um, but they wouldn't like it. I I think, I think uh, Richard, I actually think they would. uh, And this is, well, this is hold this thought and we'll finish it after the break. I actually think they would accept it. If there was transparency to say, this is our plan. Uh, I don't see enough transparency um, with uh, MLSE, and I don't see enough transparency with with Bobby and Masai as they try to rebuild this thing. And and, uh, and that, that's just my personal opinion on you know what's going on behind the the big black doors. What's going on behind the in the office uh, at, at at on Bay Street? That to me is a I think if if you cuz i think you have to be honest with your fans if you have if you do that you, you can't go and just start to do it and say well cuz I, I i actually lived it bruce was just moving here i lived it when the maple leafs actually lied to their fans knew they had a bad team and thought they were going to make the playoffs we yeah. saw that you cannot lie to the hockey fan you cannot lie to the basketball fan you can't lie to any fan anymore you need transparency if you try to do what what you're suggesting with a rebuild. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Bruce Arthur and Richard Deitch on the McCallum podcast. Bruce Arthur's in Vancouver. Shannon and Deitch are in the big smoke. Bruce is usually in the big smoke, but he's in Vancouver at, at Raptor camp. Um, Bruce, I'm fascinated by your thoughts of what Masai's press conference was the other day. Uh, was that a message for the fans or was that a message for the players? Uh, before I say, I'm going to say this, I'm repping my university radio station right here. Nice, my guys. Is that the UBC radio station? That's the CITR. I worked, I worked there three weeks. So, ha <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <clears throat> I'm getting over a cold. Pardon me. Um, I will say this: like it's interesting because John, before the break, you were talking about how there isn't like more transparency is better from this team. I don't know that there's a lot of guys. Masai talked for like 45 minutes the other day, and he well, he doesn't talk that often to the public. Um, but when he does, he gives a pretty full explanation. He can't say everything because remember in a league where you are a recruiting operation, you there's think of all the things you can't say, right. About not just who you might be recruiting, but who you have gone after. Like if it's someone else's fault, can you burn that person? No, you can't. Right. Like, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of intricacies in this league, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think Masai in that press conference, the the thing that became the headline was talking about selfishness, and specifically talking about selfishness as it pertained to Pascal Siakam. 
Now, the way Masai works, and this worked back when he talked about the culture, I think it was like five years ago, he said, we got our culture's wrong, we got to change our culture. He went to Damar and he went to Kyle and he said, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this to you, then I'm going to say this to them. That did Nothing he said in that press conference came as a surprise to anyone involved. He, I'm sure he went to Pascal and said, I think last year you played too selfishly and, and not, again, there's different kinds of selfish. In this case, it's just Pascal cannot be a guy who pounds the ball and, 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 and plays like Kobe Bryant, right? He can't, he's not talented enough to do that. That's not who he is as a player. And last year they tried to do that. It didn't work. So this year he's not going to do that. So Masai doing that in public was just adding to the reinforcement of stuff he'd already said in private. He was putting it on the table and saying, "This, these are the public expectations for how you guys are going to play. Which in a league, again, a player's league, the more heft you have, the more authority you have, the better you have a chance to shape your team. And I think that's what he did more than anything in that press conference. I, I guess my point about the transparency is, like I, I thought his press conference the other day was magnificent because it it created the perception that he was he was telling us a lot of stuff. Magnificent. But it was like the State of the Union. It only <laughs> happens once a year. Yeah. That to me is the issue. Is that he's now set this he's he set the stage for the whole season. We have enough quotes out of Maasai from 40 minutes in Vancouver mm-hmm. or, or wherever it was. We have we have enough stuff. To last us maybe till Christmas. Cool. Well, Masai said, remember when Masai yeah. said, well, Masai, you know, and, and that's the way I, I would like to see he and Webster a little more public, maybe not as long, but a little more often. I think yeah. that's really important when you're trying to sell a fan base of where you are in your process. I, I that's that's just me. And if I was their communications director, if I was their PR guy, if I was Dave Haggath. I would probably say that saying, guys, is there any chance we can do more times and maybe less minutes? Uh, it's I, all I, about I, the feel. It's all about the feel good to me. I I, I think the fan base deserves that because I get tired. I, I mean, I felt bad for Nick last year. I'm one of those guys. I felt bad for Nick. Every game, Nick came out. Every game, Nick came out. And so Nick became and and Nick's message. We know what his message to the how the how his message to the players came last year, and I think that messaging started to drone on with the media and the fans as well. I mean, again, it's such a short period that they've actually been bad, and and when they were bad, they were forty one and forty one. They were they were bad in a in an organizational strategy way. They weren't really bad. They didn't tank because they couldn't tank. They were too good to tank. Like right. they thought about it. They yeah. thought about it and then they went, ah, we can't, I can't yeah. like we'd need to kneecap four players. All right. It, it wasn't going to work. Um, I, I think if you told Masai, you got to be more public facing, he would say, they're going to do my talking for me. The, the team is going to show. And then I'll tell you how it is at the deadline. And then I'll tell you how it is at the end. State That's kind of how he works. State right? of the union. State of the yeah. union. Yeah. <laughs> so he does like three a year. Um, but I do think that when he talks, he gives a pretty as fulsome an explanation of the franchise as probably anyone I've dealt with in Toronto. I would, yeah, it's interesting. So that's so not I, a high bar. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair. Well, you know what? Brian Burke, actually, I will say Brian Burke's probably better. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a good truth teller, Brian Burke. The, the, um, 
the thing with Masai is when he does talk, I think it has impact. And so the less is more there really means something because when he talks, it actually mm-hmm. makes news. And the only thing I would sort of counter to you, John, is, you know, at least the last couple of years, Bobby Webster has been more out there. I mean, he, I'm not, he, I'm, you know, he's not doing, you know, a daily, like, here's the take of the team, but, you know, you do see him on different media outlets. You know, he's very smart in terms of what he's going to oh, say or what he's not going to say. No question. But, but I feel like almost in terms of management, he's sort of more the, the, the season long front face of what management thinks. And then Masai does big picture. I mean, Bruce may know this. I don't, but like as a GM, uh, GMs around the league, Bruce, like, are they, how accessible are they on a daily or, you know, weekly basis? Like, it, you know, I mean, maybe the guys who like to talk, but it, it doesn't feel like to me that Bobby Webster is like hiding out versus like the other equivalents of him in the league. Well, and like public talking versus talking to individual reporters, talking yes, on background, right, talking right. that kind of stuff. Like GMs do that, of course. Um, but like Leon Rose doesn't talk in New York. Yeah. Right? I'm not sure Leon Rose has talked once in New York. At least not like, publicly. He may be talk he may be talking through intermediaries for sure. Exactly. Right. The league is is conducted the way the league works is not GMs being forward facing all the time, but there's talk, right? There's yeah. stuff that that sloshes around. There's yeah. agents talking about all kinds of stuff. Like I, I don't think it benefits it would benefit Masai. Because the thing is, I don't think Masai needs to win the public relations war for his job. Agreed. I just like even now, even even if you can like you can say they lost Kawhi for nothing, they lost Serge for nothing. They lost Mark Gasol for nothing. They lost Kyle Lowry for very little. They lost Fred for nothing. They didn't trade OG. They didn't trade for Durant. They didn't trade for Dame. This is terrible. Yeah, it's not that terrible. It's really like, like, and you can go through it. I can go, I can take you through every one of those decisions and tell you why it happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and some of them they were wrong on. And some of them they screwed up. But on the balance, this is still a front office that overall, I think, has a benefit of the doubt, but also has... I can't see anyone in MLSE telling Masai, get out. Well, I can see one guy. Ah, well. Uh, the, I can the, see one guy. Yeah, the key there is he isn't in charge yet. Yeah, but you that said guy. the key word. You said the key word. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, that's a, that, that, we could do a whole series on that. Yes, we, we could. But actually, they did on HBO. It was called Succession. Um, <laughs> so, let me uh relationships this is what we're dealing with today relationships what are the relationships within the players do you have any any clue what what what, where where scotty fits in with the older guys with ananobi with with siakam because that was kind of to me in in listening to Masai, that was the other thing that kind of jumped out at me was that they have to give i'm i'm paraphrasing more respect to the younger guys well, and, and that I'm actually writing about that today. So oh, thank you, Jacob. That will okay. go in Saturday's paper. Um, Scotty, after his rookie year, it seems like he thought it was going to be easy. And he, he was talking the other day here. He's like, I think I'm a pretty good leader. I don't think leading's that hard. I think I can, I'm pretty good at it. And you go, if you listen to the people around this team last year, there were significant disagreements on that point from certain quarters of the franchise. Um, now, the thing is, though, I I do think I've heard more this year that Scotty does have some leadership qualities as being one of those kind of magnetic guys, one of those guys who can who can move guys along, right? Who can convince guys, and part of that is his talent. 
the talent's still there. The talent's real. Uh, how it develops and where it gets to is up to him. Mm-hmm. But the, but the talent is real. Um, I the real interesting question for me was always, how do you have a team with Pascal and Scotty Barnes? Because they just they operate in similar neighborhoods a little more than you'd like. And and in terms of having the ball and being a primary guy, last year it was Pascal and Pascal and Fred trusted each other, and they didn't trust Scotty. Right. And you could if you could watch it happening all year, was those two guys not quite freezing out Scotty Barnes, but kind of pushing out Scotty Barnes, right? Like the it, and I I think it was more Fred versus Scotty than it was Pascal versus Scotty. So I think in terms of personality, I think it'll be fine. Probably we'll see. But how they fit stylistically, how they fit in terms of role, where Pascal could be a supermax guy next year. And the team is telling him, you are not Kobe Bryant on this team anymore. This is going to be more of a Scotty team. How is that all going to unfold, right? And it's going to require an enormous amount of trust. It's going to require trust from Pascal to the coach, between Pascal and Scotty, between Scotty and Pascal, between the organization and everybody. For like Darko's talking about how they're going to share the ball. It's going to be very egalitarian. And the only way for them to be good is to be together. And that's true. Like, that's how they were when they won 48, right? They were a really connected team. Pascal has to be connected and Scotty has to be connected. And that's going to be such an interesting dynamic to watch, even just from how they play basketball standpoint on a team that can't shoot. Yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is, like, they're in two different timelines based on their age. And you ultimately... And this is sort of the, the has been the biggest issue and challenge for the franchise. You have to make it. You have to make a decision as to what your timeline is. I mean, they've tried to they tried to split it, and you know they made a decision last year clearly that the timeline remained Fred and Pascal, and and the yeah. result wasn't good. So I think ultimately it's going to be Scotty Barnes's team. I think it's really the yeah. only way forward, and you have to see what happens. So that makes Pascal interesting because I, he Pascal's one of my favorite players in the league. I I, I will always sort of stand for the guy. I loved him, especially when he was young. And the, the question, like Bruce now to me is, when Pascal was at his most effective, he really was um, a guy who um, sort of had the creative freedom to sort of play loose and run up and down the court and and almost be like a really highly skilled energy guy. And I know sometimes that changes as you get a little bit older. He, The salary becomes like an issue in that like, as a basketball player, he is great. Like he is mm. an asset to your team. You want him on the team, but he's not a super max guy. And like yep. this becomes the real problem for the Raptors is you can't probably get fair value for him. You can't give him up or get rid of him. At the same time, you can't make him your Giannis. So yeah. I don't, and I'm sure Masai, yeah. Bobby, think about this every day. I don't think there's a solution. Like I, sports talk is about, oh, let's throw out our opinion here's the solution like i'm just gonna be honest with the audience like i don't think there is a solution here short of pascal not taking the money that he has earned as a player this is the problem of player development of success right (laughs) because they 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 successfully turned and he successfully turned himself in to the best player he can possibly be like i don't think pascal other than those three months in the pandemic i don't think he's left a lot on the table same with fred right yep um the thing within your, I think you're entirely right in assessing the dynamic. The way it makes sense, the solution 
let's say they had traded for Damian Lillard. And the starting lineup was Damian Lillard, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Jakob Pertl. It's not, it's not perfect, but it makes a whole hell of a ton of sense, right? Yeah. Like the, the way he makes sense is if you have a player who's way better than him. Right. Yeah. And that's the trick. And that's why I, I do think that there, there has been some pushback internally from the Raptors about this idea that they're on a clock now. They got three free agents in this, like uh, in Gary Trent, OG, and Pascal. Um, they're running out of time. They can, they, can, they can sign those guys if they have to and then figure it out later. They can do that. But who is going to be the guy that you get who's going to be way better than Pascal? Eventually, they want it to be Scotty as one. They'd like a second guy to, to go with that. Like, if Scotty is 85 to 90% of Giannis, can he get there in time for Pascal to still be really good and Jakob Pertl to be your third guy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, right? Yeah, like, like, I, that's but, where but, th th this year is huge. Third year, you know, the the in the NBA traditionally, if you look at like the superstars, third year is when you know if a guy is going to be it, right? Yeah. Like you, it's it's. So I think this year will. I mean, Scotty Barnes is going to be a good player no matter what. He has too much talent not to be good. I think to this year tells us. But do you think he was good last year? No, but I I think yeah. he but but. What I'm saying, John, is like even if you look at his statistics, in a bad year, the guy is still a good player. Like he he has too much talent not to be a in a bad year, he's a borderline all-star, is what I'm saying. The question this year to me will be is this guy potentially an all NBA player, mm -hmm. or is he just like Bruce said, 80, 75% of Giannis or whatever? And then then the organization has some real questions. Cause then then, you know, if he is not the alpha A. I don't know what the then, – then probably the answer is to blow it all up, to start anew, and then to try to, like, load up with as many future picks as you can. I will say from year one, I'm still buying Scotty. Like, I, I think he has a chance to be one of – when he becomes whatever he is, one of the ten best players in the league. I, I'm not saying he's the he will be a number one, but I think he will be one of the – I think he has the talent to be one of the ten best players in the league. What do you, How do you see, Bruce? It's interesting because it's hard to figure out exactly who he is. Giannis is probably the closest thing, right? Yeah. He's a better better passer than Giannis. Not as, as big and long as Giannis, but strong. Like, he's 21 years old. He's 240 pounds. Like, he's going he's gonna to batter guys this year. Is he, is he a is, – does his basketball IQ develop fast enough? Does his shooting develop fast enough? Is he on a Giannis – like, if you look at Giannis, year one, year two, year three, year three, he's not dominating yet, right? Yes. You look at Kawhi, year one, year two, year three, year three, he's not dominating yet. Like even, even Jokic a little bit, it took him like th th third years when he really, you start to go, okay, it's starting to happen consistently, consistently. We're going to see what his growth curve is, but then we're going to see how well he maxes himself out. Um, how smart is he at working on his game? Like how, how adaptive is he? The talent is there. Like, I think he's going to be an all-star in his career. I really do. I, I, I think he came into his second year thinking that the league was easy. And then he was in a bad team situation and didn't know how to handle it. And he just, he was, he didn't know how to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and this year they're going to give him that opportunity to figure it out. It and will be, he, it you know. will be fascinating, Bruce. I'll tell you what, to me, to me, uh, you know, as Richard talked about where the fan base is to me, it's about relationships and relationships on the court and whether there is an acceptance of each other 
with this starting five particularly. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. Before we let you go, um, our pal Deitch has written a book. It's uh, or edited a book. Is that a better way to say? Yeah, it? written may be a little strong. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but and and uh, and it's a it's a, you know some of the great columns of 2022, 2023, right, Richard? It's yeah. and Bruce, Bruce Arthur's in it. There's your I, cover. I'm going to say this. I would, I would say this even if Deitch was not in the room. <clears throat> I've, I've known Deitch electronically and in person for, it feels like a pretty long time now. And the thing professionally, one thing about him that I value enormously professionally is he has one of the best uh, he is one of the best judges of quality in the business. Like when Deitch says something is good, I don't remember ever saying, hey, you know what? That wasn't very good. No. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like, and, and so that's why, like, it's always, these books have always meant a lot to me. I, I own a bunch of them. Um, and, what was the uh, column on, by the way? It was Luis, Luis Suarez at the world cup in Qatar yeah. playing Ghana yeah. who he had, uh, he had absolutely screwed in 2010. Ghana is playing 2010. They kick a ball. He puts a hand up on purpose in the box. Ghana gets stopped on the penalty kick. He is called the devil in Ghana for 13 years. And they play again in Qatar or 12 years. And uh, it was just, it was one of the most beautiful operatic sporting events I've ever seen, which ended with Luis Suarez weeping on the bench because Ghana said no. Ghana got to show the devil what it was like. like the, to uh, have your heart broken. It was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a great column. And it, one of the reasons I was happy to include Bruce was, you know, as someone who, like Bruce, has read these books and bought these books. And again, they, these books were guest edited by giants compared to me, David Halberstram and stuff. It, it, it was very intimidating even to get the assignment because of the people who had come before me. But the one thing I wanted to really make sure I did was the one thing that the book historically did not really have much of was newspaper people or people like within that framework on deadline you know someone mm -hmm. who had to turn around something within a short amount of time versus these long features where you might have weeks to do and i thought bruce's piece um along with this guy Derek gould of the st louis post dispatch who did a piece on pujols's 700 homer essentially mm -hmm. a deadline piece as well i wanted to make sure that i got some pieces in there that reflected the real skill and challenge to actually turn around a piece in a fairly short amount of time versus these features, which, you know, incredible talent and prose. But if you have, if you have seven weeks or eight weeks to report it, you have time to sit down in front of a laptop and really craft each individual sentence uh, beautifully. So I was very happy to include Bruce in there and he wrote an amazing column about uh, Luis Suarez. All right. That's Bruce, so much Bruce, fun. Bruce Arthur of the Toronto star, Richard Deitch and I will be back after this. All right, welcome back. McCowan's back and he's crabby. He's been giving me shit. I know. For not being it's on really, time. So, old, it, this I, is I, good. This is uh, the Bob. I, the old you know Bob. What? He's getting on your case for not Richard, being on I'm not time. sure I can take it anymore. Okay, yes. 48 hours. We've been waiting 48 hours for your your pros and your wisdom. On well, look, at, I, I'm going to tell you what I told you several times over the past few weeks. This team does not have enough offense. They cannot score runs. This has been a problem all year, and they scored one run in 18 innings uh, against Minnesota. They didn't lose because of the Barrios thing. That's BS. They lost because they can't get hits, and they have to change the roster in order to correct the problem. So you would have, you would have, 
you so you would have you agreed with pulling Barrios out? No, not necessarily. Okay, but it wasn't on. the reason why. It had nothing to do with the results of the game. They lost. They didn't score any runs. How are you going to win if you don't score any runs? The pitching was fine. Barrios was great. Would I have left him in? Probably. But it had nothing to do with the outcome of the game or the outcome of the series or the outcome of the season. The reason this team did not win is because they have guys who cannot hit in key situations. Yeah. And yeah. they've got to change that. They've got to get rid of Chapman. They yeah. got to get, they got to get rid of Kirk. They have to get rid of of uh, Biggio, Belt, of Varsho. There's five guys right now you've got to get rid of. You know what they really need, Bob? They really need a good, young, aggressive catcher. Oh, sorry. They got rid of him. Sorry. <laughs> well, that, you're right, maybe, but they have enough catching in the system. You assume Jansen's going to come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think you need uh, Kirk in that situation. Aren't, aren't you concerned about Vladdy long-term now? Yes, I am. He's a, he's a guy I almost put on the list as a guy I might trade. And I know that there's a bunch of fans who would say that's crazy, and it might be, but uh, he had a terrible year. What do you do with Atkins? What do you do with Schneider? Well, Schneider, I don't think is relevant in this conversation. He's just a guy. He's not a real player. He's not a guy who's. No, gonna... I'm, I'm talking about John Schneider, the manager. Oh, um, well. I'm iffy. I don't know. I don't think it was his fault. I don't think the manager in this day and age makes decisions. Yeah, I think here. the decisions are made by the front office. I think the general manager is a guy I'd, I'd be looking at very closely. Uh, he's he a guy who rearranged this uh, organization to be better defensively. And they were. I give him that. But you know what? You don't win games by defense. They gave up two hitting outfielders in the same year, corner outfielders. Neither of them was a terrible defensive guy. They were great, but could they have used those bats? You bet they could have. You bet. Yeah. The issue, and this is where Bob hits on, and like, we'll see what they end up doing, but like, Chapman is a free agent. I don't think he comes back. Belt is a free agent. I don't think he comes back. The one Goodbye. thing I know you want to get rid of Varsho, but he's got another year, and I don't. Th- I think he's coming back. But oh, I don't. I don't suggest for a second that these guys are going to get traded. I'm saying, what would you ask me? What I would what do? You would do. That's yeah, what I would do. So the real Varsho's a good defensive outfielder, but he can't hit enough. They got to get a bat, and I'm. You know, I. I, I Not have a to- bat. Five bats. <laughs> five bats. I, I and and just the fact here we are in October of 2023. If I had told you 18 months ago we were going to talk about how many more bats they need, everybody would have thought I was full of it. You not know, they, really, not really. Oh, but I had a concern all year about the offense. No, no, this year you're right. This year you're right. But this this means these other years that they were so good with the with, with the home runs were they were the outlier years then. They were oh, the outliers. But they didn't have the pitching. And that's what they didn't have in previous years. Yeah. And they have that now. And they can still have that next year. I would not, I, I'm I, as as horrible a year as he had, I would not give up on Kirk yet either. Uh, but the other uh, guys mentioned, I like who cares? Yeah. Chapman, I don't think I can't see back. Belt, I can't see back. 
Um, and they're going to have to bring in some bats. I'm with Bob. You also, at this point too, you know, you got to hope that like the pitching again is close because you, this was a dream. You're never going to, you, you exactly. They screwed up because they had great pitching. Exactly. And they, and they, because of the deals that were made in the off season last year, they had no offense. Statistically, it's very unlikely they get this pitching here again. Sure it is. Yep. All right, boys. Great way to end the week. Good to see you, Robert. Well, thank you. Goodbye. And how nice. Happy, see happy you Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, thank you a lot. You too. That's Robert McCowan with Richard Deitch and John Shannon on the McCowan podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you.